Hello and welcome to Unfiltered, an intellectual podcast. Okay, so this podcast is unfiltered. And that means I think the ideas matter, right? Um, so I want to go ahead and express some ideas on white guilt. And I was thinking about this the other day and I was discussing it with a friend. And it's just, it's a wild concept, right? So the analogy that I was using is North Korea, right? Now let's, let's say that Kim Jong-un has nuclear weapons and he's intent on keeping them because that gives him protection and allows him to project his power into the world, right? Now we're thinking about how can we take away these nuclear weapons? How can we influence his foreign policy? How can we change his government so that it suits us and suits our foreign policy objectives? What can we do? We have military options, but that's bloody and dangerous and it's very difficult. Um, we have economic options with sanctions and things like that, but it doesn't always work and sometimes it can backfire. So it's, it's complicated. We don't have any many options. What if we were able to convince him that what he's doing is wrong, so he voluntarily surrendered his, um, his nuclear weapons and let us simply walk right in and take what he has? That would be great for us, right? But it would be terrible for him. Okay, so the connection that I see with white guilt is when you look at European history, for example, colonialism. During colonialism, it was seen as a very virtuous thing. Um, it was expansion, expans, expansionary. Um, it was increasing the standard of living of people in Europe. Um, it was bringing uh, civilization to parts of the world that didn't have it prior. Destruction, of course. This is the course of nature. I don't think you can find a civilization or a group of people on Earth that ha don't have that kind of uh, history that's entwined with violence at some level. But... Um, and there are lots of moral objectives, uh, bringing uh, Christianity around the world because it was considered uh, a moralizing um, and civilizing force, right? But that's, that's really just a way to validate what was going on. Whereas before the validation was in itself, we are great, we are conquering, this is good, and we should continue to do so. Um, and, and it was kind of self-evident that that was a good thing. Um, so if you wanted to defeat that conquering force, though, if you did it militarily, that would be difficult, right? Because they're technologically advanced. If you wanted to do it economically, that would also be difficult because they're economically advanced. Um, there, there wasn't too much leverage there. But if you, if you can convince them that what they're doing is wrong, they'll stop doing it voluntarily. And if you want to take the assets and the uh, uh, whatever they acquired from colonialization, if, if you want to strip them of that and maybe keep it for yourself, the best thing to do or the, the best option would be to convince them that what they were doing is wrong. So they voluntarily stopped that you don't fire a shot, you don't expend any resources, and they're no longer a threat whatsoever. And we can look at Gaddafi. This is a similar situation to North Korea, where Gaddafi had nuclear weapons, he was insulated, he was protected, he gave up his nuclear weapons, and uh, he was sodomized <laughs> by and a bayonet. Chemical weapons right. too, I believe. Chemical weapons. Yeah. Um, and that, that was protection for him and would allow him to exert his policy in his country. He gave those up and he was exposed um, and he lost it. He lost his, his country, right, um, by the West. And so the best thing to do was to have him voluntarily give them up because if we tried to pressure him to give them up, which would be better for us, we exerted our will in the country and they weren't able to respond in any way. And it was, it was terrible for what happened to him from his perspective. Um, if we were able to do that with North Korea, that would be wonderful, but they won't do that. So when you look at this concept of white guilt, if you are looking at it from the perspective of a foreign force or a group of foreign forces that want to take what white people or white culture 
previously had, the best way to do that would to make would be to make them embarrassed about their own history so that they had nothing to protect. In fact, they would give it up voluntarily because it's something that they considered was horrible, was uh, something that wasn't worth defending or, or protecting or even acknowledging uh, was the case. And maybe even they would give it back plus more as compensation um, for the sins that they did in the past, right? So it's very good objectively if you're an external force and you want to take everything that this white civilization has cr created. And again, I, I'm using the term white civilization. It's not completely white, but obviously that's... Um, uh, it's, it's Western civilization, Western civilization. that's founded upon Judeo-Christian values. Absolutely. So who would be this foreign force? That's the thing. It, it, at the moment, we can look at it as cultural Marxism, postmodernists that have uh, objectives, uh, stated objectives of destroying Western civilization in order to create a, a communist state. So let's say right. starting from when we exposed that there were all these Marxists who had infiltrated FDR's administration. Yeah. You think it's probably started around that time and has just grown since then? And uh, even though the Soviet Union has fell in the 90s. Right. Perhaps Marxism has not finished its course. I don't yet. think there's any any indication in sight that it's finished its course, right? And um, you know, the KGB, for example, would uh, destabilize countries by sowing this kind of resentment against against the uh, the leaders in the country. Marxism is essentially uh, generating resentment against the ruling class to have a violent revolution, right? But if the ruling class has guilt you can have a peaceful revolution. It's much easier for the ruling class to give up what they have um, voluntarily than it is to have a violent conflict, right? Um, so it, it's, it's very effective. And I just want to bring it back quickly to what I was discussing white countries. I don't like this idea that we're also in the frame, you know, that we're racist if we describe a country by its race or any of that stuff. So I don't like to participate in that framing at all, because it constrains my ability to say what I want to say, because I'm worried that people may misinterpret what I'm saying and call me a racist. I want to stay away from that completely, you know, um, because I'll say what I want to say. And um, this is an unfiltered podcast. It's an unfiltered podcast, and I think the future is unfiltered. That's where we're going. You know, our last podcast we discussed about the the strength and of uh, Trump administration officials really breaking the mold yeah. and breaking and, that frame. And the power of authenticity. Exactly. And there's demand for authenticity out there. There's demand out there, and I think we need to fill the supply. And um, as soon as we start trying to protect ourselves from any of their accusations, we're moving into their frame, and we're trying to do battle in their frame. And I don't think that's in our advantage. That's, that's to their advantage. So let's break it all together and, you know, let, let the audience decide what we have in our hearts, you know, and if we wear our hearts on our sleeve, as many of the Trump administration officials that are authentic that do and are successful, people will see that and we live in a better world, right? Because people are able to express themselves. So I just wanted to make that point. Um, but yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the whole white the, guilt This phenomenon. whole idea of white guilt, I think it really boils down to cultural Marxism. The whole point of if you're going to try and take down this very vast empire, America was militarily stronger than the combined forces of the communists, economically stronger. Right. As you can tell, Soviet Union fell because economically they couldn't survive any longer. Right. And so if you can't beat them on these two fronts, why don't you take it to a, you should change the rules of engagement, change the which front you're fighting this battle. Right. Fight them from within the inside because the greatest enemy you have are not necessarily the enemies that you, that you can see from afar. It's the enemies from within who are there to subvert and to poison you from the inside. Here's a good boxing analogy. 
in boxing, a lot of it is timing, right? And timing and uh, pacing. So when you're in the ring, one of the most critical opponents is really not being predictable and kind of throwing the boxer, the other boxer off his game. And you do that with very subtle movements. And that psychologically affects the boxer so they can't position themselves well. Um, and it's, it's, you're not throwing any punches. There's no combat involved, but it's, it's about how the, the, the fight is framed, right? And so in this respect, they have kind of... Um, where am I going with this? This is an unfiltered podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, no okay, idea. so you have a box. You're in a boxing match. And it's all about timing. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's a psychological component. So what you're doing is you're kind of psyching out the the opponent, uh, and you're not doing it physically. Maybe you're smaller. Maybe you're weaker. Um, but you're doing it cog- cognitively, or you're doing it psychologically. And that's the medium that they have chosen uh, in order to be successful. These postmodern cultural Marxists. Um, they've addressed us. So it's almost as if we're the bigger, tougher opponent um, because of our economic strength, military strength, uh, strength of ideas as well. But they've gotten into one of the more critical elements, and that's uh, your identity, your your ideology, your, your your sense of self-worth and validation. And they've chipped away at that. And that was never protected. Or it was protected, but it was, it was systematically eroded through the very complex media industrial complex. And um, it, it's an amazing thing. It's really an amazing thing to watch. Yeah, so if you think about your identity, so, I mean... We're going to talk about white guilt. We can think about, okay, so white people have their own self-interest. And they'll say, okay, these are the types of values that I want. And these are the goals that I have uh, to build a very successful community. They have in-group preferences. Right. And so while it's acceptable for you know, to have organizations like La Raza for Latinos that have Latino self-interest. And you think about Latinos, they're always saying, oh, be Latino, be yourself. And it's celebrated in, in white people. And everybody in, celebrates their diversity and their yeah. uniqueness. Right? Yeah. So you want those other cultures to stay kind of pure to who they are. Right. Uh, and, you know. Blacks have the NAACP, and they don't you have Black you... Lives Matters organizations for their own self-interest. Don't act white, act black. Don't be yeah. an Uncle Tom, which yeah. is saying be with your race, have strength in your own culture and identity. That's encouraged. Yeah, so that's one standard. And normally you would think, okay, if I've created an objective standard, this should apply to all groups. But this is where the mental gymnastics start to come in. Right. So that can apply for blacks and Latinos, but... That doesn't apply for white people. Right. It's because they don't have power and how, how yeah. power is. Yeah. Racist. You can only racist if you have power. Right. Even though we had uh, a black president with a, a black cabinet, somehow they didn't assume that that was power. They're still uh, protected with the special status of you should be black. They, you know, they're criticizing the president. Yeah. For not yeah being that black makes enough. absolutely no but, sense. Yeah. Uh, but if you're trying to take down the Western civilization as the cultural Marxists uh, are. You know, attempting to do right now you know yeah. yeah that's 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 what they they're trying to do then it makes perfect sense because you're you're hitting the key pillars and the people who establish the civilization you're hitting their identity and anybody who's not them um you promote their identity while reducing the strength of the other identity and that provides penetration that that weaken that that completely erodes the foundation of the entire civilization yeah because you think about it what are traditional american values you have to think about so yeah yeah Jefferson and all that you have them creating these ideas and 
establishing uh, freedom of speech, the right to bear arms, you know, the right of due process from the government. We want to be wary of the government and their ability to encroach on our personal freedoms. And, and this is a very American way of thinking that, right. that we want freedom and we want the government to stay out of our business, which is a little different from other cultures, sure. which have a little bit more faith in the government and, and having these uh, stringent societal rules. Right. But if the point is we want to take down America, you want to attack those values. And so you want to start adopting values of foreign countries. So a lot of these Latino countries, some Central and South America, they're going to have a lot more big government tinge to them. They're going to have a lot more socialist movements there. So they're going to bring those values up here. Right. If you're a Marxist and you're trying to bring Marxism into the U.S., you definitely want to import these types of people into the country. Right. And what you're doing is you're systematically stripping the former residents of their assets. So if you wanted to defeat the empire, British Empire or something, you would you would systematically begin taking away the colonies that they possess, right? And that's very difficult if they're intent on on possessing them and defending them. But if they've decided that it's wrong to have these colonies, they'll freely give them away. And that's what's happening here where, you know, it's wrong to have a white identity or it's, it's, it's wrong to have anything white special interest groups or to, to defend the culture that white people have. Um, and that process is expedited by this concept of diversity and diversity plus um, uh, in-group characteristics or in, of other groups. Yeah, and what they try to do, they try to morph this uh, Christian idea of original sin and i think the way people very talk true, and the true. way they talk about original sin nowadays is is so warped from what the whole idea uh behind that concept originally was but let's just say well, we're going to talk about this new warped version of original sin they apply that to white people and communism what? usurped the morality of christianity yeah that's the whole point of communism is to remove god from the lives of people and to impose the state instead right uh, but the whole point uh, of this idea of original sin white people have this original sin from their history of slavery uh, yeah. of you know coming into america and conquering it and, right. and from from the natives, natives right and uh, and they, they have this romanticized view of what it used to be uh beforehand well if you well, they promote that they yeah promote so that. so they'll say okay white people uh participated in slavery but they don't mention that white people were also the first people to outlaw slavery right they're really part of the civil war was to into end slavery or that Mar native Marshall american reason. tribes were constantly at war with each other yeah no one wants to the native americans i think you can't you can't group them together as like one ethnicity it's a year you're either Cherokee, your Navajo, it's like these different tribes with their own unique identities. They're humans like and, everybody and else. And to group them together as one is really selling their history. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's, it's not, it's, 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 not it's not fair to the Cherokee ancestors to really start grouping them with their sworn enemies. But it's useful because they have a fundamental interest in expanding their power and control and wealth and everything else, right? They want to grow just like everything else on earth. So when, when you say, yes, the, the white person is, is bad and oppressed you, and we will help you take some of what was, was formerly yours or, or just increase what you have today, um, that, that you have a natural interest group. And they, Who wouldn't not, want that? Yeah, and the thing that that's more important to them than oh, having. Oh please, I don't, I don't want more money. No, no more money, please. No, yeah, give me yeah, any more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have enough. You know, yeah. uh, you know. Um, so that that's we can see that even though it is oppressing their common identity because they were completely different and they had completely different identities in different tribes and different places and and they were nuanced and they had different uh, and, and they made war on one another. But the point is. 
that's not the identity politics in that respect isn't important. What's important is enriching this block of people at the expense of another people. Yeah, but in order to do that, you have to romanticize that other culture. So, I mean, Stefan Molyneux talked about this recently in, he, uh, in an interview, and he was mentioning that... Well, straight okay, up lie. You know, well, yeah, so you think about uh, Europe in 16th, 17th, 18th century of the Industrial Revolution... The cities don't have great sewage, sanitation, or anything like that. So you're like, right. life kind of sucks over here. It's like, sure, it's like you're having a growing middle class, but the environment sucks. And, you know, you go out to these indigenous people of America, that you don't see them fighting within each other because you're not integrated into their society. You just see how they're interacting with you. Oh, they're living in the forest. So this is quite nice. I, I'd rather enjoy this. Or Isn't their culture so arrows, great? you know, down your backside. Or they, they're shooting arrows at, at an opposing Different tribe. Different experience, yeah. At, so the, you don't actually see what the conflicts are. You just have the superficial view of what the, their culture is like. And so when you romanticize it in that way, it's like, oh, man, we are so awful as people. Yeah. So or, maybe we should start emulating these this other group. So in that sense, what the identity politics is saying is that white people are kind of like these evil, uh, this evil group, and we should really start taking uh, more advice from like Latinos and blacks and start romanticizing their cultures without but, necessarily yeah. taking a critical view of like what's going on in their own communities that may not be so favorable for society. Right. And there's two things going on there, right? One, I think, is the innocent view, and one is the not-so-innocent view that probably usurped the origins of the innocent view. So these these Spanish uh, conquerors or um, English traders coming to the New World probably saw the natives with freedom. They probably saw that the, the native had a sense of liberty that they didn't have. They, they were tied down by numerous ways. Uh, and you have societal rules. Yeah, they're probably stressed out. They work too hard. Wife's too loud. You know, <laughs> who knows, yeah. right? But they, they, it was, life was difficult, and it's easy to romanticize people who are wild and free. You know, and um, th there was probably something to that. And who knows? Maybe people are rebellious against authority. That's a natural instinct. Maybe philosophers were, um, you know, romanticizing this in order to validate desires that they had to, you know, be free as well. Um, but the point is, I don't think those were malicious to social order or they weren't strategic, strategically applied. Um, I think what happened later with cultural Marxism is that those ideas uh, were, were mobilized, they're systemized, and they're used strategically. Um, and, and they weren't just drawn out of ignorance, you know, from, from these medieval ideas of the noble savage, but they were created in order to empower the noble savage to take down the, um, you know, the, the white civilization, the, if the that makes sense. The established culture, because right. you think of this as this new revolutionary force is going to make us all better. Right. But that's not necessarily the case. You think, it, like, you look at this culture without understanding, okay, what are the side effects of this? Like, you think about, okay, so... Maybe white people engaged in slavery, but they abolished it. And we don't even question the other cultures. Okay, you have the African tribes who sold their opposing tribes to uh, the slave traders to, or, to eliminate yeah. their enemies or how the Arab world... They still they trade just, slaves yeah, in Yemen. Yeah, I mean, they still do that. Yeah, they, and they have no problem with it. And yeah. if you look at Liberia, freed slaves from America went to Liberia to... Um, uh, build a new democratic republic. Yeah, with, with Elijah with, Muhammad's Back to Africa movement. Yeah, with a few, with, in, within a few years, they had enslaved the local population. So slavery is a human issue. It, it, people have been doing this uh, for generations, for thousands of years, and it's Western civilization that considered that immoral and ended the slavery. Yeah, um, but we don't take a critical lens in wondering why these other cultures have not outlawed slavery. Right. 
And yeah, it's only so, white people who are bad. Right. Or anyone else who participated. And it was a very small fraction of white people who even engaged in slavery. And let's not bring up that, you know, there were some uh, free black folk who also owned slaves. Right. So it wasn't just a racial issue. It was just, this is natural. People will own slaves. It's the law of the land. I need people to work on my plantation. And so why is it so difficult in a, in a university to bring up these issues and to have an honest discussion about them? Um, why are you slandered so quickly when you bring up these counterpoints, right? If people are honest and they just want to know the truth, which is quite natural, and, and, and there's no force behind it, um, why, why aren't we uh, perfecting the picture, getting more information and, say, and, and discussing the points that we just yeah, discussed? Yeah, and if you're actually against slavery, shouldn't you want to find out which cultures are still practicing slavery and going after them and putting political and international pressure yeah. on them to and you want to get behind the, 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 the Christian, white Christian civilizations move against slavery. So you want to support that because that's the institution which has historically and has continued to abolish slavery so that's the question in reality do you actually support uh, banning slavery or do you only want to f use slavery as a tool to attack your enemy yeah and and, and that that's that's the thing so you, you can see that slavery is not the issue because if it was you would be supporting the institution or the civilization that is ending the thing that you want to end right but but that that's that's not the issue um, what you're doing is you're eroding that tool. So you don't care that much about slavery. You care about eroding that civilization, that institution. Um, and and who is interested in that? You know, yeah. if you look back, the cultural Marxist movement uh, from the Frankfurt School and 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 that whole thing. Um, that's the best explanation that I've come up with. Because again, we're coming up with this framing, pervasive framing. It's on the media. Uh, it's on the news, and they're, they're they're framing the narrative, and you can't speak against it. Um, they're opposed to open information and free discussion. And so you have to ask yourself, why? Why, why is this going on? What yeah. is this thing? It boils down to a double standard. Yeah. If, if those of the cultural Marxists, if those who are pushing white guilt, they're subscribing to moral relativism. They don't have objective values. And their moral relative scope says that, okay, whatever happens in Latino culture, that's their culture, I should respect that. Whatever happens in black culture, that's their culture, that I should respect that. But then the goalposts shift when they analyze white culture. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, so there are a lot of great things that white culture has brought about. You know, you have this American-style constitutional republic that was brought about white, by white people. Sure, there are probably some practices that could use uh, some improvement, but that's natural. Humans are not perfect. Humans are not God incarnate. And Jordan Peterson talks about this, who is a very smart man. Right. He, he talks about um, the left being allied with uh, Middle Eastern culture, um, despite obvious incongruencies within the philosophy of Islam relating to the role of women. Right? I mean, we can also speak to this with our experience in the Middle East. We have plenty of experience in, in the Middle East. But the, the, the issue here is that if, if they valued the treatment of women as, a, as a, the, the place of women in society, the way society is organized, um, again, I don't like generalizing across the culture, and I don't like criticizing the culture based on the way they're set up, right? I actually value diversity that way. So the question is, if, if they really value the, and Jordan Peterson articulates this quite a bit better than I am, but if they really value um, the uh, the role of women in society, then they wouldn't be allied and they wouldn't be encouraging this kind of uh, migration into the West. But what they what they really value is a shared desire to destroy the West. Um, that's Islam's uh, stated goal in, in many ways. And um, 
in uh, that's also the cultural Marxist stated goals. And so that's where the congruency is. So there's no contradiction down there. And that's where that natural yet uh, um, unusual alliance comes from. And I think because they have these types of alliances with certain forces that seem to be anti-Western, you're starting to see a backlash from the native groups. So, for example, there's a group of white people who have, because you have the left constantly attacking them for being white. The racism. Yeah, being you're evil, you're awful, and they're, they're saying to themselves, no, I'm not evil, I'm not. And I really hate this other group now that's attacking me for wanting to have my own self-interest. You're starting to have a backlash in the form of the alt-right, and you have people like Richard Spencer leading his own group saying that, you know, white people should have their own self-interests and that it's wrong that white people are being unfairly attacked like that. Yeah. And that's just going to be a natural reaction when you end up punching someone over and over again and assuming that they're never going to defend themselves. And based on their race, yeah. right? It's the same yeah. resentment. They've developed and built the same resentment um, in, in white people that uh, cause the, these minorities to rebel or to follow the cultural Marxist narrative or to rebel legitimately um, in their own right. So yeah, it's really and, interesting. And when you have a backlash, you don't know what the backlash is going to look like. Yeah. And so maybe if you keep calling everyone a Nazi, at some point you're going to start s- seeing some actual Nazis come up because it's like, you know what, if, if they say Nazis are so bad, then maybe... Nazis aren't as bad. And people, that's because of the lying principle, right? They're always mm-hmm. lying, so they can't believe, so then they look elsewhere. But also, um, they're going to need protection, you know? And these people are offering uh, them protection against an enemy that they really can't attack. There are alternative channels. Um, the Trump phenomenon is, a, is another channel. Um, but the more they push this kind of thing, and the more they base it on race, the more likely that people... Uh, who base their uh, response or resistance on race are going to become popular. Yeah, and I think the the important point is that, I think Steve Bannon makes this point, is that you can't go and try to fight from the identity uh, politics platform. You're going to lose that fight because the left has mastered that. They understand exactly all the punches you can make, all the strategies that are out there when it comes to this frame of reference. And so if you try to fight them on that same plane, it's going to be, very, it's going to be an uphill battle, which is why you have to, to take the battle outside of that frame. That's right. You don't want to be in that frame. And there's already been so much damage done by the identity politics in the first place. Already so much has been lost and there's been so much erosion of people's identity and pride. And if you look at Deaths of Despair, uh, that's a horrible study by, I believe, uh, the Brookings Institution by two professors from uh, University of Pennsylvania, Um, maybe Princeton. Unfiltered, right? But, um, and... Yeah, it's wreaking havoc on on white society, and that, that's horrible for, for in and of itself. It's a really a terrible thing. Um, but I guess that's where we are. And if you look, if you look to the future, it looks like the policies of the left and the cultural Marxists are somewhat unsustainable, because uh, that that they'll be developing resentment and they'll be fighting back. However, that might be good in some ways for them. Because you're you're creating uh, friction between races where there otherwise wasn't friction, or there was much less friction. And if you're looking to divide and conquer, um, that's one way to do it. So the first stage would be uh, demoralizing the white population, and the second stage would be reaping the benefits of lost um, resources, lost energy um, that's expended on fighting. Uh, yeah, you know? and and if you're trying to sell the idea of of having a bigger state. If you have people fighting each other, dividing everyone by victim class, there's going to be conflict. And 
what these people are going to sell as a solution to that conflict is that we just need more state programs to try and study and resolve these issues. Right. And then the, st- Stroke the size the fundamentals. Of the, yeah, the size of the state will continue to increase, and they're going to appease some of these victim groups by saying we're just going to tax the rich, and yeah. have a wealth transfer. Yeah, we'll, we'll take off. We'll take our cut. Yeah, and then the government will obviously take its cut. Destroying Western civilization while getting rich. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, champagne socialists, as that's, they say. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, so you, you'll have this going on. And this is all steps towards their goal of making America more of a Marxist country. Yeah, and if you're listening to this and you have more information about it, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to talk about it. You know, it's fascinating. Um, and, and that's the good thing about the Internet. It can be decentralized. So you can use uh, the labor that, or the ca- capacity of the masses um, to really uh, come up with solutions. It's a distributed solution, you know. Um, and I think we really have that on our side, whereas the mainstream media, the channel was more uh, uh, omnidirectional. No. <laughs> well, it's it's they have, it's they like an olig- oligopoly of what, of what the idea is. And you only have certain set of opinions that are really being pushed out there. And they try to limit the opposition opinions. Right. And the internet is generally very free. So, I mean, uh, unless you're on certain social media sites, like maybe like Facebook has a, and Google have better abilities of censoring the discussion. In general, there are still alternatives that you can go to to find opposing viewpoints. Right. Yeah, that's, it's, it's scary that there's so, such a lack of intellectual diversity in, in companies like Google. And that kind of thing. Yeah, diversity is not a blanket statement. It's a diversity of color, but not diversity of thought. Yeah, we should have diversity of thought, um, and not really think too much about diversity of color. Yeah, I th- I think with the diversity of thought, that goes back to the essence of freedom of speech in America. Is supposed to be this area where you can have these tough debates about controversial issues, because it is mandated in the Constitution that you protect that. This is not like other countries where you have a totalitarian state and they can oppress all opposing opinions. If you want that, you can move to the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Yeah. But in America, we believe in freedom of speech. And we can't... The more we see these freedoms get encroached on by the state and by opposing forces, the more we need to try to resist that. And Stefan Molyneux tries to say we want to keep this in the realm of arguments. And that is... it's. Going to be a disastrous result. This ends up really on a widespread basis, turning more into a conflict with arms. Yeah, but I guess the thing is, you shouldn't have white guilt. You should have no guilt for your past. You should be proud of your past. Yeah, which is why it's important that people start to understand that these types of new norms that are being pushed on you are not necessarily uh, acceptable. And they you shouldn't it... be forced to accept this idea of white guilt. Yeah, they 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 give you the impression that it's for your own good and for the. Uh, equalization of society or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and it's weird. It's like, why are, why are white people responsible for the actions of their ancestors, some which they don't necessarily agree with, and for a practice that wasn't necessarily widely uh, practiced amongst white society? Or based on their color, right? They may have no direct ancestral ownership of slaves, or, um, yet they are categorized as former slaveholders just because of their color. Yeah, why are other cultures not held to the same standard. Right. So if you have high criminality in the black population, uh, why are not all black people considered as criminals? Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and if, well, yeah, and you have that issue. It's like, why would you just blame police brutality? Maybe there is an issue with that, but you have to see what is the low-hanging fruit. Maybe, you know, if my community stopped attacking each other, we wouldn't have so many problems. Yeah. So if you look at Western civilization being founded by white people, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, why... Uh, and you're attacking them exclusively while you're empowering and shielding other groups, certainly looks like they're 
Uh, you're eroding the foundation of Western civilization. And what comes after that is absolutely scary, because if you look around the world, there are some civilizations that are still doing quite well. Um, but if you, if you like the standard of living and the style of living that we've had here, um, and you don't like, if you go to Mexico, for example, you see you know mostly failed state, cartels running wild, standards of living are very low, um, good things to be sure. But uh, there's a reason a lot of people are trying to come here. Um, that, that's going to go away. And that's, that, that, to take that seriously is very, very important. Yeah, I think if we truly did not like Western civilization, we wouldn't live in Western countries. Yeah. You truly appreciated what, what, the, what the East, <laughs> Middle East, always leave. South America, what they really had to offer you, you would have moved there. Yeah. They but should. clearly they, there's something yeah. that, you, that people like about the U.S. that makes them want to stay. Be hypocritical otherwise. Yeah, it's the Hippocratic Oath. <laughs> You're the hypocritical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you, you can't have you can't have it both ways. You can't say America's both this evil racist country and white people are evil and then say I'm going to stay here. Right. Shouldn't you want to try to evacuate your people from this place? And that moves perfectly into the Especially if America's not your home. Yeah. With the dreamers, right? A bunch of resentful kids, you know, they they bite the hand that feeds them. Um, and yet they're here. It, it fits right into the, the template, you know, destroying Western civilization. And what we do to placate them is to give them more, more and mm. more and more. It never ends. Which and is the idea with DACA is that the left argue, argument is that, okay, these DACA recipients, it's not their fault that they were brought here as children. So you can't really blame them for the actions of their parents and ancestors. So that's one standard applied to DACA recipients. But that standard is also not applied to white people. And if they apply that argument, then white people would be absolved of the crimes of the past. Right? Right. They don't, they're not responsible for what their ancestors participated in. Exactly. Going right down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So you, you have these logical inconsistencies, which is what starts to mess with people. People start to wake up and understand it's like, that doesn't make sense. Right. And that was yeah. existing, right? Yeah. And now the Trump administration and, and those people working for the administration have begun to break the mold. You know, so the consistencies were there, but they just had to be kind of activated because you're seeing consistent messaging and consistent framing from the media. And it was very oppressive to opposition. And now that that's being broken, all of these inconsistencies are coming up because it didn't have solid fundamentals, you know. And so I think we're looking at a continually a continue continuing to cascade uh, left wing um, establishment in the United States. Yeah, the, t- the pendulum has swung the other way because what the media was good at was making sure that the right was divided amongst each other. Right. And they didn't know... You can, you can be and surrounded... Full of guilt. You can be surrounded by allies, but if you don't know that you're allies with each other and have no good way of communicating... Right. You're not a very effective alliance. And that's what political correctness does. It prevents you from communicating. Yeah, and if you shut down communication... You're essentially shutting down your opposition. Yeah. Whereas what Trump was doing, and you know, the silent majority was the whole big idea of it, and he was saying we have all these people who really believe in what the message is, and Trump is just a messenger of what people are believing, and he was this uniting force. People could all identify with Trump, and then as you went to all these rallies that were completely sold out, people started to realize, hey, there are a lot of other people who believe in the same things that I do. It's yes. not just my little small group of friends, if I can even talk to them about it. And so we saw something like this happening earlier. Um, 
not in the Trump phenomenon, but in the the ninety nine percent movement, right? And they're all living in camps, and it was a lot of yeah. homeless people, dispossessed yeah, the people, Occupy Wall Street, Occupy movement. Wall Street, and they were they were communicating a lot, and I was like, wow, that's very interesting. That's going to change left wing politics quite a bit, um, and now you're seeing our side communicate quite a bit more. Um, and I think that's fundamental. The more people that you can share these um, beliefs with and just freedom of speech, expressing yourself as you want to express yourself, um, the stronger your convictions will be that you have the right to express yourself and you should be expressing yourself. Yeah. And so I think you started to see that with the Tea Party movement. Yeah. And it got there was a big grass movement. They got a lot of people elected to Congress, but it wasn't effective enough in, in moving the pendulum enough because it wasn't the media totally popular. Yeah, because the media was able to put them in the frame as these crazy right wing uh, people who are trying to go back to 1776. What right. crazy people these yeah. are! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they they got pushed into that mold of okay, Fox News watching inbred idiots. Yeah, and Trump did a pretty well job, a pretty good job in the beginning of his campaign of of trying to break that mold, but it was very strong. It, it held pretty well, and he kind of dropped it after a while, and then everyone came under the Trump umbrella, which was probably better anyway, right? Um, it was a real push against the opposition, against what they. You have Trump on one side, you have the mainstream media and the left on the other. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's fundamental. It's, it's really critical to um, meet with other people with similar ideas and feel, feel comfortable. And the mold is breaking, and I think it's going to continue to break. So people will continue to realize that they can speak freely in public, and the... Uh, the f- the kind of fear of totalitarian control from the Obama administration um, will continue to break down, um, and I so I think we we have a lot of fuel. Uh, yeah, you have to think about who is who is really trying to shut down uh, right wing speech right now. You look at Berkeley; you've got Antifa showing up to those. They're very violent against the uh, people there who are advocating for free speech. This gets picked up on the media. Uh, the everyday American sees this and like, I don't necessarily want to be involved with such a movement that is actively protesting against free speech and they're doing it within a violent manner. And people don't trust and the, the media. Me- and the media tries to protect Antifa in the beginning, say, oh, CNN putting out uh, a puff piece on Antifa yeah. saying that Antifa seeks peace through violence. Because if they had their own way, they would use Antifa as a, a militant arm for pushing their... Uh, political ideology they right? were and they're still trying to do that but right. the issue is they've had to publicly distance themselves because they can't do it because anymore. because antifa was too violent for right. mainstream america and that's who we're dealing with though their their first preference is to have uh, a violent uh distribution of their ideology right and that's horrible so given their way they are nasty nasty evil creatures and so it's really so we're bringing them back, but not because, uh, you know, they, they're reasonable people, but because they're feeling that uh, mass popular, popular support will not um, tolerate their, you know. This is violent method of transmission. Yeah. So you, you, have, to be very, you have to be very aware of, of how nasty um, this, this movement is. You know, um, and that's that's what we're up against. But luckily, we're we're doing very well. Yeah, and and I think it, you see like this opposition coming violently from Antifa, but then you're also starting to see uh, the political class attacking back. Like you have uh, the mayor of Berkeley, who seems to be a part of this group called By Any Means Necessary, which is another Marxist group yeah. that is pushing for uh, tearing down of our American societal norms. What's wrong with these people? And so he's using the power of of uh, the, the mayorship to essentially 
withhold security from the free speech movement. So you have these stand out. It seems yep. like stand out orders from the police yep. so that they're not exactly. going to go. If they, even if they see some a crime happening in front of them, an Antifa person assaulting a, uh, a fr- advocate of free speech, they're not going to do much. And that will intimidate if, people, if they have a standout. Right? And that yeah, exactly. That intimidates them. That's and, why nobody showed they, up in Boston. Or, or the few people that did show up at the free speech rally, they left very quickly because they're surrounded by a crowd yeah. that was very violent and that they probably wouldn't be protected by the police and anything can happen. So they are trying to intimidate and shut down speech. Yeah, they are. They were calling these uh, people who are advocates of free speech Nazis. And and, yeah. and the main speaker they had there, uh, who was a Senate candidate trying to unseat Elizabeth Warren, he's an Indian guy. Right. Not he, he has an Indian Nazi. It's like, how does that make sense? Two how minute, is he a white supremacist? Two minutes of proper journalism and um, real journalists would have realized, oh, this is a libertarian movement, not a Nazi movement. And they explicitly disavow white supremacists. Right. Two minutes of a journalistic search on Google and Facebook <laughs> and they would know that. I'm not sure how national socialists feel about redheads. Yeah, either. So that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, only one third uh, human or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that doesn't sound like a very good Nazi to me. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a good Nazi. Yeah. So you you have this. People get riled up that oh they had this huge movement of Nazis. Let's go out and punch a Nazi and fight them. Yeah, they love it. They this love it. Violence, hungry people. Yeah, it's like why are you so violent? Like yeah. in civil society, we shouldn't be wanting to be violent towards each other. You just need an excuse to let off some steam and attack someone else. Yeah, the brown shirt because because you didn't have power before. Now you feel like because I'm in this mob, I now have power. Yep. But the issue is that you're trying to fight this imaginary enemy. There's not like a big widespread movement of national socialism. America is not like that. I think they I'll, need that narrative to delegitimate Western civilization vis-a-vis white people. Right. To make to for the narrative that they're racist, sexist, homophobic so that you can be f- physical or, you know, aggressive. towards Yeah. Them. I mean, they probably don't appreciate this history, but Nazis were uh, violently opposed against communism, which is why you have you had Hitler essentially violate his agreement with the Soviet Union and he started to attack them. Yeah, so, he's a national socialist, so still a socialist, but not an international socialist. Yes, it's a very, very big difference, which is why, like, you see that again, where you have the Marxists going after the national, going after the national socialists. But the national socialist movement is not that big. It's yeah. very small relative to the people who are in favor of pure Americana liberty. Yeah. yeah, and these are just regular people that don't like the politically correct system. It's it's not a good system. And um, they, they just want to be themselves. They yeah. want to be normal. And I think the issue is that like they they would like to wage this battle in the realm of arguments. But the issue is that if you keep pushing and punching these liberty-minded people to fit into this politically correct mold, eventually you don't know what the opposition might look like. And yeah. you start, start getting more authoritarian people saying, we need to try to stop these people who are attacking our fundamental values. But it, like, like if you are looking at a higher level view, and this is to destroy Western civilization, you can destroy it by dispossession, where people will voluntarily give up their possessions and position in society because they're, they feel so guilty about it, and they won't strive for excellence because they feel guilty by even doing that. Um, and secondly, if they expend all of their resources on fighting, that's another, you know, great way to to weaken them because because you're you know taking away from their resource pool the opportunity costs of other things so it's a bad situation either way you know i think we need to think of an alternative solution to really attack this cultural marxist thing and i think awareness helps a lot 
You know, if people are aware of what's going on, I don't think it's very well articulated yet in society. Some people are starting to do it. Uh, Jordan Peterson is doing it. Stefan Molyneux is doing it. Quite a few people on the um, the new right through alternative media are doing it. Um, so that's good. But I think we need to break that into the mainstream. And yeah, there was a great uh, political cartoon. I think it's from decades ago, back when there was uh, Cold War era, and it seemed it was like a little schoolhouse, and it was saying uh, like organized uh, Marxist propaganda on the schoolhouse. Yeah, and there was a, there, there, there was a that. soldier with like the the communist helmet on with like a needle injecting the school with like a red vial. Oh, I saw that. And and it's and the caption is. Uh, Parents should know what's go- going on in their school. Yeah, and so that that's one method of reclaiming the mainstream. It's it's important to ensure that education is you're giving people uh, a good objective education so they can learn to cr- think critically. That's what made ha- gave America its competitive advantage economically. Is that compared to other cultures in American culture, it's a lot easier to think critically. You're yeah. not as, as held back by societal rules, which is why you have high levels of entrepreneur. Uh, entrepreneurism here and, and you have a lot of a high rate of innovation because people are not stuck in a certain way of thinking they can think critically but if you start to take that away and just pushing cultural Mar- marxist propaganda down people's throats they lose that ability to think critically and it weakens our economic power because people are not and that's able to think yeah, in why an the innovative Soviet manner Union was it well. unable to innovate or we see north korea and they're doing pretty well in some ways, but their military hardware is from like the 60s for the most part. So their innovation level is extremely low, and they're not trading on the international market, probably because of sanctions. But, you know, in general, um, the totalitarianism stifles creativity. And you know that in your life. You can't, if you can't express yourself and you can't engage in dialogue or conversation, um, which is generative by nature, uh, you, you can't. Um, you probably won't innovate. And, and thinking outside the box is not permissible. So as an adaptive creature, you'll learn not to think outside the box. It's a completely corrosive system. But again, this may be true, but this also goes along with the goals of eroding and destroying Western civilization. So it's... Because yeah, you want to make it seem that Western civilization is crumbling. Right. How would you want to be a part of this failing state? We should try this new system called Marxism. Yeah. Is based on what foundation? And then you start to realize that this whole idea of freedom and critical thinking was necessary to keep the economy at the size it was. If you start imposing massive state control of, uh, under a Marxist state, the entire system falls apart. This is Nothing where, works. It's like complete illogic. This is where the um, inconsistencies that are internal to the philosophy um, that we've been discussing quite a bit. Also, there's an inconsistency with the outcome because you need uh, a strong civilization to... Um, administer or apply any political ideology. If you don't have a, a strong civilization based on shared norms and laws, uh, nothing works anyway. It's com- it's complete yeah. chaos. How are you going to redistribute wealth when there's no more wealth left over because the system has collapsed? Yeah, other civilizations will have acquired that wealth and will colonize. So, it, Or the no. wealth just gets destroyed because the information is lost forever and the, like the, the supply chain is lost because it doesn't work when you have a, a, a Marxist in charge of it all. Right. So the entire ideology is is toxic through and through. And people are being sold to snake oil, think it's going to be a cure-all solution for their problems. But if you just think about your everyday experience, if someone's uh, selling you something that's too good to be true, it probably is. 
Yeah, and they try to dismiss it. If you like Google cultural Marxism, the first sites that come up are like Vice News and like yeah. cheap sites that debunk it. Or 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 if it. you try to question uh, the left's narrative, they'll say, "Do your own research. I'm not going to spend my time and waste my time trying to educate you on this." Yeah. And that tells you research. that you've won the argument because they clearly don't have any facts behind their whatever their statement is. No. And they can't back it up, and yeah. so you've won. And so what they have to resort to is name-calling. Yeah. And once it's devolved into name-calling, you know you've won the argument. You've won the argument, but you've lost the war if you're not able to interact on that level. And it's yeah. an infantilization of society. And again, that moves towards the direction of, of corrupting the society. And they don't want to entertain arguments. They, they don't care no. about arguments. No. They only care about their agenda. Yeah. So while we, while we are trying to keep this in the, in the realm of arguments... Maybe that's not where the the plane of engagement is. No, it's not. And that's why I think you see characters like, you know, Milo and uh, Gavin McInnes. Funny guys. Um, they have great arguments, but they're pranksters. They're trolls. They're hitting the left um, in ways that the left hasn't been hit before. Whereas, you know, the, um, the prior establishment, the conservative establishment would be hitting them right on the gloves. You know, very typical shots. Um, yeah, they can see it coming from a mile away. Yeah, and it's it's total. Now we're we're in asymmetrical guerrilla warfare. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. You want to be unpredictable, as President Trump says. Uh, he's very anyway. unpredictable. It's fun. How do you win a war if you're predictable? Oh, we're gonna strike you at this target at this time with using these weapons. We will have these many soldiers at these locations. Yeah. You think you're gonna win a war that way? No way. No, and the enemy enemy yeah. is gonna say, "Oh, he's coming that way." Okay, well, we're gonna have all of our defenses here, and we're gonna absolutely annihilate them. Yeah, exactly. I enjoy it. It's great to get involved with this. I mean, I wish it was a different outcome and it was a different situation that we were in, but whatever. You know, this is the way forward. It's it's fun. We get to knock on these people. It is fun. And and, and the thing is, it's like as as we understand that maybe the realm of arguments isn't how we uh, convince the hardliners, that's probably how you can get a lot of the centrists. And independently minded people. Yeah, normal people that yeah. want growth and yeah. But if you want, if you want to take back the narrative, I think you have to be creative in how you resist and how you uh, launch your opposition. Yeah. Because until until the right has a good grasp and, and a good control over the narrative, it's going to be a tough battle and a battle to win, and it's going to be difficult to win the war as well. But I think we're getting better. I think everything is moving in the right direction, so that's great. Um, and we need to keep going and we need to be very incisive. Uh, we need to be quite brutal. We have to identify who the enemy is, is and precisely what they're doing. And when people understand this calculation, they have no self-respect left. You know, these are horrible people that will bring. So you, basically, they, they call us Nazis. They're the Nazis. Yeah. Right? Who's, who's trying to shut down free speech? They're the Nazis and they're trying to destroy uh, they're worse than Nazis because they're trying to destroy our civilization. So we can take away, you know, any moral high standing or high ground that they yeah. may have. Not even high ground, just e- even as a person. They're what they're doing is 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 beyond criminal. Yeah, because the Nazis were using the, the force of the state to crush their opposition so they could promote uh, the Aryan national interests. And what the left is doing now is they're use, they're trying to use the power of the state to oppress their opposition to advance the the goals of of what they say are the, the victim class right. interests. Right. Which but which, the, in, which does not include white people. In the entire the system, way. exactly. And the entire system is destructive anyway. They, they won't have a leg to stand on if they achieved victory. You know, it's so it, it's, 
yeah it's they're, just they're like, fighting a war without understanding what is going to what's going to be there uh the day after the war is won it's kind of like the idea of what people question the neocon strategy in iraq and afghanistan what what happens on the day after you take out the leader yeah and they didn't have an answer for that and now we realize you have absolute chaos that's right and what happened in those countries is, is what's going to happen if you allow the cultural marxist to win and if they win the war and Do we know what's going to happen the day after? You're going to have chaos. Things have been getting worse, and you can see that. And life is getting worse and worse and worse for most people, and you can feel it. It feels like things are coming apart at the seams. And that's the beginning, um, and the, the conclusion is there. It's really easy to have denial, and they're always pushing denial on the television because it's very useful for them. But the, people have to have to be aware. Yeah, but I, the thing is, like things are changing. With the election of Donald Trump— Things are changing. I, like that that was the people saying we want to actually have a real opposition to this we're going to take back the narrative and i think it's steve bennett says this is not going to be an easy war to wage but you have to wake up every day being ready to fight ready to stand up for what you believe in and i think that the foundation is strong and that it will just take time for us to to uh, wage this war against the opposition and say and eventually, we will be victorious because we have the people, we have the numbers, and we have a strong foundation, and we have the arguments. Right. We're sound on many facets. It will just take time because an enemy does, won't just go out tomorrow. It takes time to defeat an enemy. Yeah. Over, and, over time, we'll win. Because you think about it, like, there's so much creative potential in humans, and it always needs to seek expression. And that's the, the development and, uh, and creation of new cultures. It's the adaptation uh, to environments. Um, you need to evolve. And so those forces are within everybody. And what they have is our repressive forces. And they're, they're shutting down that evolutionary, evolutionary tendency. So at the end, life has to prevail. So we really have um, the, the power on our side and, and what they had was a temporary um, uh, restraint of that kind of thing and what you're seeing now is the exhilaration of it breaking free and that's fun let's just ride it let's have a good time you know let's enjoy the gains that we're getting it's awesome you know and just I'm, I'm, I'm loving this too so with that I th- want to thank everyone for tuning into this episode and make sure that you you don't lose hope because we are going to win this narrative war. it's going to win it's going to get a lot better promise <laughs>